0: Hey guys, it's Keith. So I'm a geography nerd. I spend a lot of my time looking at maps, watching YouTube videos of GeoGuessr and geopolitics uh, explanations and deep dives. And I really love this topic. I've even thought of going back to school to get a PhD in this topic because I have a sort of passion project of redesigning the global map. And I just think that It really wants for better borders to better explain the world to people that are a little less savvy in looking at a map. You know, like, why do we need to learn 50 states in the US when really there are 15 or 20 regions that you should know? And maybe not even that many, uh, maybe even just a dozen basic regions of North America that are worth understanding. 50 is way too many states. Europe is broken into, you know, 30 to 40 states, and it makes sense that, uh, at least in Europe, we have the concept of nation states by and large. But still, these borders aren't totally coherent. There are still these principalities and duchies and kingdoms that are somehow relics of the 19th century, somehow surviving still into the 21st, you know, like Liechtenstein. Belgium being this kind of made up place, you know, Andorra, there are these really random places within Europe. But by and large, Europe kind of figured out through all of its wars and bloody brutal 20th century that nation states make sense. You define a people group based on a shared history and language and a few other factors, ethnicity can come into play. And you clear you clarify its territory. And you call this a sovereign country or state. And it makes sense. Like, I think that the world wants for this, you know, like India and Pakistan are constantly fighting about where to draw their borders and who is what, you know, because religion defines so much of their identities. You know, you look at China, and it's It's dear grasp for more territory to take over more land. Uh, And Russia still, you know, doing this. And that's what we're going to talk about today, specifically with Russia and its current invasion and war of aggression against Ukraine. It's February 26th, 2022. And I've been thinking about this topic uh, for the past few weeks, wondering if it was um, worth getting into in a podcast. And of course, now it is because it's very front-page global news and a big deal. Uh, I was worried about that and I was hoping that it wouldn't be, that it would stay a sort of esoteric topic for geopolitical nerds and that people wouldn't really have to get involved in thinking about this. But now that we're here, I want to think it out uh, with you and try and make some points that perhaps the mainstream media isn't making. So I've been to Ukraine a few times. And I think it's a super cool place. It's a beautiful place. I have some friends there. I definitely think the women are beautiful. I think the buildings and the architecture are beautiful. I think that the, the soul and the pain that it has experienced in recent memory and distant memory, give it a, an emotional texture that is really poignant and, and amazing. And it's sad to me now that it's being invaded and that my friends there are hunkering down and dealing with this violent upheaval of their livelihoods, you know, it's scary. And I don't know how bad it will get and I kind of wanna comment on how bad it could or should get. Um, And I have to just declare that, you know, I enter this with some humility and modesty, because I'm not an expert. Um, but I'm just looking at this kind of thing psychologically, and I want to break down why some of this is happening. You know, I was listening to a podcast earlier, John Stewart's actually, and he had somebody on. I don't know what kind of guests he has these days, but they were like talking about how this made no sense and that there was no reason at all for Russia to be doing this. And that's just not true. There are definite, clear reasons why Russia is doing this. So I wanted to maybe start by explaining that. So it is awkward, I think, that Russia is still in this mindset of you know, the past, this kind of passé attitude of land war, you know, like I think for so many of us in the West, in Western Europe and in the US and Australia and Canada, etc., that why bother fighting for land at this point? You know, like things seem fine. Um, we can trade for what we want. So like, I don't, we, it's hard to grasp this notion, this antiquated notion that we need more land. And yet plenty of places around the world are still doing this, most notably Russia and China, and also places like Saudi Arabia versus Yemen or Azerbaijan versus Armenia recently, which was a very sad one for me. Um, You know, this is still happening, that countries declare that this disputed land is theirs. And it's really pathetic to someone like me who, like, takes it for granted that I live with access to all the resources that I would want. And it's so silly that people fight over land. But as an American, of course, we can say that, right? We're blessed with an enormous amount of land that we have dominion over that sounds a little funny, but it's basically the case. And if you look at something like Russia, obviously, like, they have the most land in the world, literally. And yet, they don't feel the richness of that land at all. Because so much of it is (laughs) Siberian and Far East, which is not very, not very, uh, arable, farmable, toilable, what's the word there? Um, That's not where the food is coming from, and that's not doing a lot of good. That's not where people live even. If you look at a population density map of Russia, basically everybody lives west of the Ural Mountains in the European part of Russia. And then along the Trans-Siberian Railroad you have dotted towns that are occupied, but it's not really settled the way that the communists, the Soviets wanted to settle it. Russia is a European country. It is European. The Slavs are a European people. And they occupy some of the richest European land in this Northern European uh, plain, this great plain that stretches from like Germany through Poland, through the Baltics and Eastern Europe and into Russia. And this is just a big deal geographically because it kind of defines Russia's uh, geopolitics it's very hard to defend this plane and Russia is afraid of being vulnerable and it's a little backward thinking like why just chill out Russia like we're all beyond that you know like NATO powers are not aiming to conquer more land so just chill out but I think Russia and in particular Vladimir Putin are worried about that they still think in this old school way of like vulnerability and strength, you know. And the other thing is that even though they're a huge country and they technically border the ocean, the part of the ocean, the global ocean, like the Arctic and the Pacific to the east of their country, uh, is very hard to access. It's frozen. They don't actually have a naval power that has access to the ocean, nor do they have a proper trade route because of this. St. Petersburg is their probably biggest um, port city in the Baltic Sea, but it's frozen over most of the year. And they've taken over Crimea a few years ago from Ukraine, not because they need that land in particular, but that it has access to the Black Sea through the strait and into the Mediterranean, into the oceans that they crave, they feel this lack and that something like Sevastopol, Crimea satisfies that lacking. It also has access to, uh, all the shales and natural gas, uh, preserve, not preserves, reserves. Is that even the way, the way it's (laughs) the word for it? There's like oil and natural gas around the, um, around Crimea, which whoever controls that peninsula slash island, almost island, has access, an exclusive economic zone, access to those waters where you can harvest the oil. So Russia has taken that from Ukraine, more so than actual Crimea. Okay, so there are these geopolitical like um, strategic things that Russia wants. So to say that Russia is like, that there's no point in invading Ukraine is not just not true. Russia wants to control its geopolitical narrative with access to resources. So if I can just go into that a little bit more, Russia is an oil and a natural gas rich country, more so than Saudi Arabia. That's how it makes all its money, by selling these energies to Europe, fundamentally, primarily. And it is insecure about losing that. It wants to keep selling these energies. And Ukraine cool. has a lot of um, potential there. It, can, uh, it threatens Russia's dominance in this energy sector. Ukraine is much poorer than, uh, than Russia, even though Russia is also pretty poor. It doesn't have the same access or ability to extract these energies from the Earth and sell it to Europe the same way that Russia does. But Russia still wants to just make sure that it doesn't. So that's a big reason why they're invading. And then to cap off what I was saying about the Russian plane uh, and the flat land that just extends from Moscow to Berlin, essentially, they want a buffer zone there between them and NATO. They used to have that. With the Eastern Bloc of countries like Poland and the Baltics, and you know Hungary and Romania and the and the you know the Balkans and the Baltics, like all these Soviet-friendly states, uh, used to be a good buffer between Russia and the Western Western Europe NATO. But those countries are by and large now part of NATO. All the Baltic countries: Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Um, Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary. Uh, Czechia, Slovakia. These are all now part of NATO and part of the EU. So they're no longer friendly to Russia. The only real friend that Russia has still is Belarus, which means White Russia. And Belarus is is a sovereign country, independent from Russia, but it's kind of a puppet state. And their president, uh, Lukashenko, is kind of a similar guy as as Putin. I mean, he's almost worse. Uh, So Putin is happy to have this buffer state between him and the west of Europe. And he just wishes that Ukraine was like that too. If he could control Ukraine, that really solidifies this strong buffer zone for the country of Russia from the rest of Europe. I find this really sad because from my point of view as a traveler and somebody that has an affinity for Eastern Europe in general... I think of Russia as part of Eastern Europe, you know? And the fact that it defines itself so adamantly against that and that the U.S. still shares in this Cold War kind of narrative, it's like, can't we get over this? It doesn't really make sense to me anymore that we're still doing that. And I think this gets into the psychology here of Putin specifically and Russia in general. They just miss the glory days of being one of the world powers. They were so grand in the 20th century, taking down Hitler along with the US and the allies. And that's gone. And since then, they've just slowly, like slowly declined and the, the Soviet Union crumbled in 1991. And all these states became sovereign. All the Baltics that I mentioned, uh, Belarus, Ukraine, the Caucasus, you know Georgia and Armenia and Azerbaijan, Um, as well as like the stands, you know, Kazakhstan was part of the Soviet countries. So like, Russia is just kind of like Turkey is for the Ottoman Empire. Turkey similarly has this chip on its shoulder, like it used to be the center of this great power, the Ottoman Empire. And now it's just this a shell of itself. And you see these kind of like this anger in its leadership, because they wish they were still commanding the respect on the world stage that they used to. And the only way that they can command that now is through fear and threat. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these childish dictator type guys command and demand that they're respected through their military prowess. And I find it pathetic I think it's really lame, and I just wish that they could just chill out and be like, all right, let's just ease in now to being a more chill, smaller country and do our thing. Like Mongolia. Mongolia used to be at the heart of the greatest empire in the world, the Mongolian Empire, which invaded all of Central Asia and into Europe, you know? I mean, that's how Turkey got to where it is. Turkic people came into, you know, up to, up to the borders of Europe, conquering and destroying everybody and enslaving all russians that's why they're called slavs meaning slaves you know and i think that in a way if you look at it from like the villain backstory part it's like russia was tormented as a kid you know like the russian people were absolutely put upon way back you know and they've like grown up and they've tried to do different things they had this rebellion stuff of the like communism they were the first to take that on and run with communism as an idea and that utterly failed it utterly failed i have to repeat that for anyone sympathetic to communism and socialism like it is a failure of a practice and every single time it's been tried from China to Cuba to Vietnam (laughs) to Laos to, you know, places in Africa, like it's always destroying economies and people's lives. So communism sucks and it really fucked up the Soviet Union. They had to literally declare defeat on themselves and end the Cold War. So all this to say that Russia has a lot of grievances historically. And I have some sympathy for that, you know? Like, I think it's one of these lessons that we learn about with Germany. Like, Germany was one of these main aggressors in World War I, the Great War. They weren't the only one, you know? Austria-Hungary was just as much of an aggressor, kind of starting it even. But Germany really got punished badly by the peace treaties signed after that. So badly that left a huge chip on Germany's shoulder and that's the story of Hitler and the Third Reich you know they came to power wanting to return Germany to its former glory knowing that they were embarrassed and you know made to look so pathetic by giving up so much of their land uh, and all these kind of like um, punishments these punitive measures against Germany from the Great War that created World War II and we kind of I don't know, like, I have a, I learned a lesson there, like, you can't humiliate your enemies, you have to let people save face, you know, like, if you're in an argument, you cannot do one of these, like, you know, final blows to absolutely destroy somebody, it's not cool, like, I believe in civility, I believe in letting people save face and have some dignity, and I think Russia craves dignity, you know, and plenty of Russian people do have it, Right. I mean, it's not like this concept is so foreign to Russians, you know, Alexei or Alexei Navalny, for instance, who is a, you know, an activist and, uh, you know, an opposition leader, Putin's greatest enemy, perhaps, you know, he's got he's returned to Russia. He was away from, you know, in Western Europe and he returned there uh, despite knowing he would be imprisoned, which he is. But he has dignity, you know. And that's important. So I think another thing that I wanna get into here is a people and a nation. And I think it does make sense that nations want to feel whole, just as people individually want to feel whole. I mean, that's what gives peace. That's what promotes and creates peace, right? When we all feel whole, we can be at peace. And when people individually don't, you see a lot of inner torment that causes sometimes like violent outbreaks, like mass shootings, for instance, or just like ticks or like, you know, never being settled. You see people on the streets like this. Same with, you know, countries. You can be at peace when you feel whole, when you have all your needs met. And Russia doesn't have all of its needs met. It's not unique at all. Um, But... I think a part of this is the fact that its people are uh, across borders and spread out. So to be more specific, Eastern Ukraine, there are a few states in Eastern Ukraine that are predominantly Russian. They're not Ukrainians. They're Russians. And that's really worth noting. And Crimea, when it was taken over a few years ago, it was so easy for Russia to do that because everyone in Crimea is ethnically russian by and large so no one really opposed that um grab you know like crimea in a way did feel liberated from ukraine Kind in a way because these are russian people and i know some russian people like the older generation are a proud people they want to feel this kind of connection and maybe cosmopolitan globalists like a lot of my milieu at this point, would say that this is very passe. Like who cares where you're coming from? Who cares if a people group is maintained? And in the US, we can especially say that because the US doesn't really have an ethnic identity. In fact, we abhor this idea. We think it's just pure racism, right? For someone like um, Richard Spencer to uh, champion this idea of like a white American identity we know that that's just patently absurd and false because the history of black America is so deeply sewn into our sense of identity, right? Specifically through music, uh, first and foremost, but just in general, you know, slavery and all of its horrors has created helped create a diversity in the American identity, which I think is great. As a diverse person, myself, my history cannot be tied to the Mayflower or to Christopher Columbus, Or anything like that so for me it's very it's something i take for granted too often that america is a multi-ethnic multicultural place but most places are not like that as i described with nation states in europe now here's something here's the problem i want to blame joseph stalin (laughs) and he's deserving of a lot of blame for a lot of atrocities and horrors in the last hundred years but I want to specifically blame him for the diasporas and the uh, border conflicts that are currently going on. You know, um, the reason war with Armenia and Azerbaijan was because Joseph Stalin intentionally drew funny borders Uh, within the Soviet Union. So this was all one country at one point, so it didn't really matter, right? Like, state lines within the U.S. don't really matter because you can just traverse them no problem and it's kind of irrelevant. But if the U.S. dissolved and all the states were fighting each other and trying to, like, you know, clarify their borders and their alliances or whatever, like, this could become a thing. And this is what happened in 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed. You have all these countries like Ukraine or Armenia or... Uh, Estonia, where you have a lot of ethnic Russians bled into these other borders, you know. So, like Estonia sp- specifically is like thirty-three percent Russian, because Russian was at, like Soviet Union was an empire, and it was advocating ethnic Russians to settle into all these little states within it. This was s- disastrous. Because then once the Soviet Union collapsed, you have all these Russians in these other lands, which is why you have in Ukraine all these Russians in the eastern states that have been kind of at low-key war for the last several years. And this is important to recognize, you know, like this, is, this complicates things, right? Ukraine is not a really clearly defined country. It's just not. Uh, Its geography is also a bit tricky and messy, like Russia's, you know. The border between Ukraine and Russia is porous. There's nothing really preventing uh, anything from going between those two places besides, like, admin and bureaucracy. Like, there's no mountains there. There's no major huge river there. The river is in the center of Ukraine. The mountains are further west still. So Russia can kind of just come right in, and they have done, and they've come from above through Belarus as well. So the Ukraine is not a clearly defined region even. It's like um, it's considered the breadbasket of Europe or the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, you know, because it's such a lush uh, land. But there's nothing that makes it clearly different from Western Russia and that's all well and good. I mean, you could say this for you know, almost like a lot, like a lot of places, like France and Germany, you know. But at least with France and Germany, you have Franks and Germanic peoples, and you can kind of cl- define where they where they are, right? And this is the same um, with Ukrainians and Russians, except for that their languages are almost indistinguishable. They're very, very similar, both using Cyrillic. So it's like, are Ukrainians even a really distinct people group? I would say yes, you know, that is definitely like the right answer right now, but it's not so clear and it's specifically not clear at all in far Eastern Ukraine, bordering Russia. So I say all that to just make the point that there's something to be said for this idea of taking back what's yours, so to speak. Now, that's a really dicey thing. It makes me, me think of like Israel and Palestine, right? Like who's to say what's whose, right? But what we know is that there are people groups. And what we've learned in, in Europe, in Western Europe, is that nation states, meaning sovereign countries defined by groups of people, they do make sense because people can feel whole when their borders surround their people group. I mean, I think it's a very fundamental idea that we kind of take for granted. We think that's true everywhere. It's just not. It hasn't been made true yet. So my agnosticism on this topic of war is when is it good Right. Like um, the last good war was World War Two from an American point of view. Right. We, were, we had to go in and help Europe defeat Nazism, which was encroaching on everyone. So that made sense. Right. Like sometimes you have a clear and present danger here. We don't. Evidently, we don't because the major powers of NATO, for instance, the USA specifically, but also Germany are not coming to Ukraine's aid why not? Why would Germany not be sending its muscle and its diplomatic muscle to Ukraine? It's because there are major trade partners with Russia, and that in a way, the powers understand how difficult of a situation this is. Vladimir Putin is demanding respect. Ukraine is hard to defend, right? If you could set up a border in the carpathian mountains within ukraine and seed eastern ukraine that would be one thing or if you could define a stronger border with like poland or romania maybe that would make sense because those are already nato allies and those borders can be held stronger so these are strategic decisions that the us and germany are making in a way seeding ukraine to russia Now, if I'm Ukraine, I'm going to spend a lot of my energy pleading for help because I can't defeat Russia alone. And when the major powers don't give me that help, what am I fighting for here? I'm now worried that we're going to see a lot of bloodshed and in the end, Russia will take what it wants. And that's not good. I don't like the sound of that. And it brings up all these questions of like, defending your honor you know fighting for your land standing up for your people and that's all that sounds well and good in fact like all men 18 to 60 right now are not allowed to leave the country because they have to defend their country and i can respect it but i just wonder if it's stupid also you know like it makes me think about in world war ii when the u.s defeated japan in the eastern front eastern uh theater as it is um truman dropped two atomic bombs on japan and finally japan uh capitulated and surrendered (sighs) i mean thank god in a way right i mean what what about three atomic bombs What about four atomic bombs like how much does it take how much suffering does it take before you think okay you know what this is untenable we're not going to win this war let's give up and I just wonder what that will be for Ukraine. That's what's scary to me. Like, how much brutality can Ukraine bear before it gives up? And what does giving up mean? So these are all really tricky questions. And I, you know, again, I, I, I want to be sensitive here because, like, I'm on Ukraine's side. I don't think this is good at all that Putin has invaded Ukraine. But I, I do think it's important to recognize why Putin has invaded Ukraine. He's done it to protect Russia's interests. Now, I I judge that as silly because, I mean, look, Russia's interests here are, one, psychological, which I think are silly. I mean, it's something, I think Russia needs therapy, not more land. Russia needs to come to terms with the fact that it's not the major player it once was, and it needs to take care of its own people, not accumulate more land and having said that, I should clarify. I don't think that Russia is trying to accumulate Ukraine as a as a part to absorb it into its own country. I think it wants it to be a, a puppet state like Belarus. It wants it to just be a mo- much closer ally. It wants to prevent Ukraine from being part of NATO. Right. It doesn't mean that it wants to eat Ukraine up whole and make it Russia. It means that it wants to control Ukraine. And so, if I'm the president of Ukraine, maybe I do that for now. And I say that with a very heavy heart. Like, I want to tell a story. (laughs) This is a bit off topic, but it it ties in and you can tell me if it's, if it's off base. I was at a, a dance club in Berlin some years ago and there was a girl who caught my eye and I was chatting with her and she was with a group of friends And I felt a vibe, enough of a vibe to, you know, chat with this girl. And one of her friends was this guy who basically didn't like what he was seeing. And he started to encroach on our conversation and physically um, put himself between us. Not quite literally, because we were sitting next to each other, but like he would like put his arm around her and sit above her and kind of puff up his chest. And I was looking at this girl's face, like, if this was her boyfriend, it's fair enough, you know, and I should back off or at least make it clear that I'm just being friendly. But it wasn't her boyfriend. It was just a guy that she was happy that she happened to be there with in a group. And he was trying to claim her, you know, trying to like establish his dominion here and scare away me a stranger a some like maybe an aggressor and i you know i took stock of the situation and i just thought you know like i definitely don't want to fight here i don't want to like get into get anyone in trouble i don't want to i'm not looking for any trouble i want i'm wanting to connect to this girl with this girl and I'm looking at her and I feel like she wants to connect with me but in her eyes I can see it's like she's not going to stand up against this, to this guy. Um she's not giving him much but she's capitulating enough. Like what I'm reading here is her telling me non-verbally, I'm sorry, you know, I guess I'm here with this guy. I don't know what to do. And so I just had to back off. You know what I mean? I don't think she wanted to be with that guy. I think this guy was just being a jerk personally. I don't think I was being the jerk. I was, you know, connecting and flirting and smiling and being friendly. And then I backed off and I walked away. Why am I telling you this story? I guess I wonder if Ukraine is that girl. And that Ukraine has a lot of history, a lot of shared history with Russia. It doesn't want to be with Russia anymore. It wants to westernize. But it's not quite in the position to just do that on its own. Russia is its biggest neighbor. It's its most natural trading partner. They share a lot in common. And the West has to respect that, right? I mean, when is it our place to just intervene and step in and like, cause a fight with Russia or in my case cause a fight with that guy all on the premise the supposed premise that this girl would be better off with me do we even know do we even know that and I guess that's how I justify Germany and America's Joe Biden's you know kind of assessment of the situation like he's not going to send troops to Ukraine at least not now maybe he will but it's kind of like when you're in a, an abusive relationship, I don't know how you get out of that, and I don't want to tell you to stay in it, obviously, and I wish that you would just come with me instead, <laughs> but it's more complicated than that. Maybe you have your finances tied up with this other person. Maybe you have kids with this other person. Maybe you have... You know, maybe your pain bodies in a Eckhart Tolle sense are inter- entwined with this person and you have a dynamic that is much harder to get out of without therapy. Like, there are just a lot of things going on. And I just, I suspect that Ukraine and Russia have this sort of, you know, demonic dance with each other. And in a way, it's like the West is like, oh, Ukraine, we want you to come with us, but, you know, we're not going to like start dropping bombs on each other over it you know maybe you should be with Russia a little longer you know what I mean like it doesn't mean that I don't know I don't want to condemn Ukraine to this toxic relationship with Russia but the way that it's being played out at the moment Russia does have the power Russia has to be taken seriously it has a lot of nuclear weapons it is very desperate for more energy through the Black Sea and in maybe Ukraine's reserves. Uh, It has very strong economic ties to Germany and the rest of Europe. And it needs to feel whole, you know? And I'm not trying to excuse any of that. It's stupid that it doesn't feel whole and that its people are across borders because of Stalin's policy of spreading, you know, ethnic Slavs everywhere and kind of invading places like the Baltics with ethnic Slavs, You know, like, this is all very condemnable. But at the end of the day, it's it's the facts on the ground. So what do you do about those things? And so, yeah, that's how I'm like, kind of making sense of this stuff right now. It's just that it's actually a very complicated situation. And I don't, I'm not on Russia's side. But if, even on the side of Ukraine, I just wonder how, how bad do you want to let it get? you know, cause talking with my friends, they're, they're, they're very patriotic. They are very, very patriotic and it's cool, but I hope they don't get put in too much danger. And at some point, you know, if you're being taken hostage, maybe just give your wallet to them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, that's what I'm seeing right now as I record this is just that we're at this really interesting precipice of what could turn into like some serious violence and it could be prevented. It could, like if, like, it's like, what are what's more, what are our priorities? Do we want peace? Or do we want strength and dignity and to stand up for a sovereign nation, right? Because those are not, those are mutually exclusive right now. We can't have both. So that's the thing. It's like, you could just surrender right now and come to terms. And to me, those terms should be ceding the two Eastern states that are ethnically Russian majority, ceding those two states to Russia. Like, that's not that bad, you know, kind of like with Georgia ceding two of its states uh, to Russia in recent memory, you know, like. In a way, it's not the biggest loss to give land to a country based on the fact that its people there are ethnically Russian. It's, it's fucked up because it's kind of like, you know, Russia going back 100 years invades all these countries and just like births all of its people there and then says, oh, this is actually ours. Like, it's really fucked up. It's like, it's actually the paranoia that a lot of people have with immigration especially in Europe, it's like, if Germany lets in all these Turks, and then the Turks all have babies, and then the Turks, you know, in some nightmarish, radical right-wing nightmare, they declare it Turkey, you know what I mean? Like, this could technically happen, it actually could happen in Russia, because it has a big Muslim population, who never fully assimilate into Russian culture, and, you know, anyways, I don't mean to go into this (laughs) Islamophobic-sounding thing, but like, this is what Russia has already done to a lot of Eastern Europe and it's not cool. It's just not cool. Um, so, but like now that it is done, what do you do? Like there's has to be this idea of cutting your losses and, uh, saving what is salvageable, you know? Cause I think the worst case scenario is like a total bloodbath where you lose half your population to a stupid senseless war over land and that land, here's the kicker. Here's, the, here's what I'll end on. Here's the most ridiculous part. This is for access to oil. Germany, Russia's biggest trade partner of oil, has pledged to be off oil by 2035. So we're talking about 13 years of trading oil. But Germany, like the rest of Europe and so much of the world right now, wants to get off of fossil fuels and into pure renewable energies. And, you know, following German politics, it makes me really irate that the green movement somehow has fought nuclear energy. France, I should say, does support Ukraine and is not reliant on oil from Russia because France has a lot of nuclear reactors and Germany for some reason is closing down its remaining nuclear reactors. Why? Why is it doing that? Because greens and environmentalists think that nuclear energy is bad. Why? If you would just use nuclear energy, we wouldn't even be in this situation. We would literally, Ukraine would be safe if Germany used nuclear reactors, period. So think about that. It's pretty interesting to think about. That said, what is Russia even fighting for in that sense? It's trying to secure more and more oil and natural gas for itself in a market that is quickly abandoning these energy sources. (sighs) So it's gonna look really silly in 20, 50 years, looking back on this, that Russia is doing this. And it's just, it's sad and pathetic to me. It's just sad. Like, I want to give Russia a hug. I want to give it therapy. I want to, like, help it be okay with what it is because it's cool, actually. Like, I visited Russia and loved it. Like, it's a cool, fascinating culture with a lot of rich history. And it can be a proud state without all this bullshit without without all this aggression and that's what i wish for it i wish it could be part of europe proper i wish it could be you know part of the eu even one day that's what i wish then we could really have peace all right i'll leave it there until next time ciao